Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. family. It's good to be back with you this morning for our uh, part two of four as we look at Elijah's ministry uh, or the early part of Elijah's ministry in Israel. This morning's passage is uh, 2 Kings 4 verses 8 to uh, 37. 2 Kings 4 verses 8 to 37. And just while you turn there, uh, allow me to pray for us as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning you would open our eyes, that we would behold wondrous things in your law. Amen. An old uh, minister of mine, a former minister of mine, used to often say, especially when preaching the Psalms, that some things are better felt than told. Some things are better felt than told. I don't know if that expression belongs more to the northeast than to say Edinburgh, because I hadn't heard it until I arrived in uh, Aberdeen. But I think there's something in it. Pull apart a, a psalm, like trying to tease the logic out of Paul's letters to the Romans or the Galatians or whatever. And, and somehow, if, if you mishandle it, we can lose the heart of it somehow. He, he used to often describe it like cutting, a killing and cutting up a, a, a lark a songbird, to to find the song. That's not how it works. And I think 2 Kings chapter 4, verses uh, verses 8 to 38, the, the story of the Shunammite and her son, I think that passage is a little bit like that. Better felt than told. So I'm going to hold back for us this morning and and do this a little bit differently. I'm going to hold back on the main theme or the main idea of the passage until later. And what I want to do is break the passage up into three parts. And I'm going to read a little and then preach and then pick up the narrative again and read a little bit and then preach a little and then uh, read the last bit and then preach. So we're going to read it and speak to it kind of as we as we move through the passage. So a little bit different, but I hope that helps us just get inside what's going on here in this text as we see uh, the gospel and the hope of that we have in Christ beautifully held out for us. So first of all, let me read 2 Kings 4 verses 8 to 17. We'll pause there and and speak to it and then we'll pick it up again. So 2 Kings 4, 8 to 17. One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room for him on the roof with walls and put him in there for him a bed, a table, a chair and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. When he called her, she stood before him and he said to him, say to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, well, she has no son 
and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, he, uh, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time, the following spring, just as Elisha had said to her. Now, the first thing I want us to do as we begin to get under the skin of this passage a little bit is, is, is just notice how this woman, this Shunammite lady, is different to the lady we met last week. Do you remember the widow of uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 7? Remember, she's a widow with nothing, one jar of oil and two sons about to be taken off uh, into slavery to pay for her debts. But this woman that we meet in chapter 4, verse 8, this uh, lady who lives in Shunem is, is a wealthy woman. Do you see that in verse 8? She's a woman of, of means. Last week, we met someone who was vulnerable. This meet, week, we're meeting someone who is wealthy. She has connections. She has a spare room and spare furniture. In days of famine, as we see in verse 38, in days of famine, she has food and food to spare for Elisha and Gehazi. She's a woman of means, wealthy. But... As we saw there, she has no children. Whether she is too old, as well, it's hard to know, but her husband is. And you can't help but see in her reaction there, as she says to Elisha in verse 16, do not lie to your servant. In her response to his, him saying, you're going to have a son, you can't help but feel the heartache. The heartache of false alarms and the pain of infertility. All we have, a wealthy family here, ready to share, but they've had no one to pass it on to. But we see in verse 14, 15 and, and 16 especially, the Lord's kindness. Verse 17, but the woman conceived, she bore a son about that time the following spring, just as Elijah had said. Doesn't it remind you of Sarah and Abraham back in Genesis 18? Like Sarah, she's barren. But like Sarah as well, she has a son. All those hopes and dreams we've had, the nursery that was lying there painted when we first moved into the house, the, the Moses basket that's laying empty is now filled. The high chair, a seat at the table taken, a boy here in want of nothing, mum and dad who love Jesus. That's clear from this passage, the way they respond to Elisha and care for him. And some words we're going to come to later about traveling to see Elisha on the Sabbath or, or new moon festivals or, or new uh, festivals. These are God-fearing people. This is a boy in want of nothing. Mum and dad love Jesus. Their hearts are now full. Immense hope has come out of pain. Can you picture them, this couple? This young family? Verse 18. Verse 18. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he went and when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon. And then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I might go quickly to the man of God and come back again. 
And her husband said, why would you go to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. She said, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there is a Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, all is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet and Gehazi came to her to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said to Elisha, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? This wonderful gift of a son given to the Shunammite and her husband. His biography is very short, is it not, in this passage? Verse 17, he's born. Verse 18, he's grown. Verse 19, he's got a sore head. And in verse 20, he died. Now, the heartbreak of the Shunammite is such that she cannot even tell her husband their son is dead. It's remarkable, isn't it? All is well. And so off she goes, a bit like the widow last week who goes to Elisha. She knows she needs to go to Elisha. So she travels about 18 miles from Shunem to Mount Carmel. It's no mean feat. And you can sense Elisha's love for her, can you not? His care for her and her family. As she travels, her son lying dead on Elisha's bed back in their house. You can sense Elisha's care. He sees her coming and he sends Gehazi, run, check that everything's okay. And note again, she says to Gehazi, all is well. It is Elisha she needs to see. And so she pushes on. And verse 27, when she comes to the mountain to the man of God, she catches hold of his feet, lying prostrate. Flat out. The man at Gehazi tries to push her away, but the man of God, Elijah, says, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress. It's hidden from me. And then she says these words. Did I not, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I say to you, do not deceive me? You see, the real problem here, the really painful thing about this passage and what's happened to this Shunammites, wealthy women. It's not that she was once barren. It's that the Lord has given a gift, the gift of a son, an only son, an only child. And in these words of distress that she cries in verse 28 to Elisha, she's saying it's that the Lord has given a gift only to take it away. These words spoken with tears and snot and a dry mouth is is all because this woman who had it all is made needy by God. You can almost hear Job's words echoing in your ear, can't you? As he says to God in the book of Job, you give and take away. Now there is pain, barrenness, a, a womb that has not cradled life, breasts that have not nursed emptiness. But now to have cradled life, to have born and nursed and now lost. It feels like she's been picked up only to have been dropped harder than where she was before. 
Oh, friends, Trinity family, this is when I long to look at you in the eyes. This woman's life here, in this moment, her cry to Elisha, I didn't ask for a son. But he came, the Lord gave him to me, but now he's gone. Many of you have cried this. Many of you maybe cry it now. Maybe the loss of a child. Lord, you gave us life. But as we left the hospital, the car seat was empty. Maybe it's work or family or friendship or stability at school. Again, truth kids, Sunday school kids, if you're watching by this day, surely you're missing school just a little bit or at least your friends, you want to see them. Lord, I had this amazing thing going in my life. I I didn't even really ask for it. You you seemed to open a door. You seemed to make a way. But now it's gone. And my whole world has fallen in. I feel way down lower, much deeper in the depths of despair, more than what I was before. Lord, you give and take away. Friends, I can give you no answers. None. But she goes and she clings and falls at the feet of Elisha, of the man of God. Have you picked up on that little phrase as we've gone through the chapter? It's it's used in verse 7. If you just want to cast your eyes there, last week's passage, verse 7. The man of God, she told the man of God. It's used in verse 9, the holy man of God. Twice here in verse 27, the man of God. And in verse 40 as well, in the next passage with the deadly stew, the man spits it out and says, O man of God, the, the stew, there's death in the pot. Do you see that repeated phrase? Elijah being referred to as the man of God. Friends, in this world of death and pestilence, in Israel here, for death is scourging the land. Make no mistake about it. These are not isolated events. The king has turned from God. Famine, judgment. Verse 1, creditors are coming. The widow, uh, asking the widow, uh, the widow for money because they're not listening to God's word in the Torah. This is a death-filled, godless society. But what is happening into this world of death? God sends the man of God. The the Hebrew could almost be rendered the God-man. Now, this is important. Do not mishear me. Do not mishear me. Elisha is only a man. He's flesh and blood like you and me. Only a man. He is not divine in no way, shape or form. But this Shunammite woman... And the narrator of Kings is is wanting to show us that he realizes that God is working in Elisha in a very special way, perhaps even a unique way compared to some of the other prophets. What we have here in Elisha, if you like, is a proto-incarnation. He he is Eden. He is the walking garden, the tabernacle, the, the, the temple, the place where God dwells, the place where I come to cry to meet God. Now again, hear me rightly, he is not divine, but God is working through this man in that way. Now before we press that a bit more, just hear that. In the land walking in darkness here, there comes hope, a place to come to cry out to God. Remember, the people of Israel here have no temple. The the temple, the physical temple is in Jerusalem, in Judah. And the temple is where you, you go to meet with God. So I want you to hear that encouragement that that God here in Israel, in the north, in these days of death and pestilence and famine is not indifferent to a world of death. 
and pain and darkness. The kingdom is breaking in. And so this broken woman, suffering, perplexed at how God has treated her, she comes to and cries out. In this moment, she is crying out to God. Friends, I wish I could see you. For whatever it is in your loss, whatever it is, draw near to Jesus. Ralph Davis, one commentator, puts it like this. Where can she turn? But only to the same God who has perplexed her. There is no one else to whom she can go. Take the bitter distress and keep clutching to the God that in this moment you don't understand. The Bible never shies away from a veil of tears, does it? It never shies away from it. When God's kindness seems to turn into something that crushes us. This Shunammite woman is broken. But she goes to the only one in whom life can be found. So for us today... Not the proto-incarnation, but in Christ, the incarnate God with us, the God-man, our great high priest, the one who has come for us in these New Testament days. Today, our encouragement, my plea with you is to keep clinging to Jesus. Verse 29. Elisha says to Gehazi, tie up your garment, take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So so Elisha arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet Elisha and told him, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came to the house, he saw the child lying on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon him, upon the flesh of the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her and when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. And so with devastation in his heart, in Elisha's heart, he sends Gehazi off. But we see there in verse 31, he can't do it. Now, if this wasn't such a serious passage, you could maybe hear in your mind Scotty from Star Trek as he comes back. I just can't do it, Captain. I don't have the power. It's maybe inappropriate given what's going on here. However, Gehazi doesn't have the power. It needs to be Elijah. He must go. And nor does really Elijah has the power. It's God who has the power working through Elijah. So it must be Elijah. And so Elijah goes to the boy. And he arrives and goes in and shuts the door. And in verse 32 onwards, we we begin to see something like the temple work of Elisha again. Because Elisha, touching this dead boy's body, he should become unclean. That's what's in the law. But he doesn't. And like a bolt of lightning, the kingdom of God is striking, is flickering to show what will happen here when the God man comes, when Emmanuel comes 800 years later in Palestine. 
I think we could say here this moment with Elijah as this boy receives life again and is resurrected. We could say it casts a long and clear shadow to what the ministry of Christ will look like when he comes. And so the boy lives. And not even death is out of reach of the power of God. And so we see with Elijah here that there is life to be found when, when Jesus draws near to us. For there in him, not even death puts us beyond the reach of his power. That's what's happening here. That's our theme. That's the heartbeat of this passage, especially the end. That there is life to be found in Jesus. For when he draws near to us, when we are tucked up safe in him, not even death puts us beyond the reach of his power. Through jars of oil and debt and servitude. Through deadly stew. That's what's happening further on in verse 38. And here, verse 32 to 37, even death itself crushed and defeated by Jesus. That's what this picture shows us. It shows us, to borrow from Lewis, that in Christ, one day death will start to work backwards. Friends, this shows us that that great enemy death will not separate us from Christ. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers nor things present or things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Paul would write. There is life to be found when Jesus draws near for there in him not even death can put us beyond the reach of his power. And so this morning we are to take heart to know that Jesus' power, his voice, will one day reach into the place of death and pull you out there to world made new to be with him forever. That one day, Lang, your ears will turn on again like a light switch to his voice and he will speak and call you forth to a place of no more death, of light and of life and of feasting. It's powerful, is it not, when you think of this woman here in verse 37. Right at the end, she picks up her son, resurrected, and out she goes. One day Christ will call us forth and take us in his arms. So we look at him and hold us. And off we will go to be with him forever. That is his power. You know, when we studied uh, Jonah last year, I think it was last year, it might have been 10 years ago may have even been 30 years ago. I, I don't know, time in this kind of lockdown has just gone a bit funny for me. Anyway, I was struck whenever we studied Jonah and David was preaching on it, how Jonah, when he thought he was running to God, was only actually getting nearer to him. He, he was running, fleeing off to Tarshish, and he gets on the boat and actually he's just getting nearer to God. He only found himself running back to him. Such is God's omnipresence. He is everywhere. You think you're running away, but you're actually only getting nearer. Friends, that is it with God's power. You you cannot escape it. You, You cannot extinguish it, vanquish it, stop it. He has you, friends. He has you. In a world of death and pestilence, of wars and rumors of wars, of disorder, of disquiet, of disharmony... When death feels like it's close at hand, we need to know that death does not put us beyond the reach of Jesus' power for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me put this as bluntly as I can. Whenever we see death 
come over the top of the horizon, like a soldier getting out a trench and running across no man's land. When we see death running hard at us and think it's coming, if you're in Christ, feel him around you. Look at verse 34. Feel his mouth on your mouth, his eyes on your eyes, his hands on your hands. Christ stretched over around you. No, he's there with you, holding you. And that when you breathe your last one day, you will breathe again. And you'll open your eyes and see Jesus. Do you remember those words near the end of the Apostles' Creed? I believe in the resurrection. Often we might want to add, I believe in the resurrection, but I don't want to get my hopes up. No, friends, this passage to us says, get your hopes up, get them right up. Because there is life, real life to be found in days of death, in dark days, only in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This is a preview, a lightning bolt, a pulling behind the curtain, behind the screen of what will come with Jesus to give us assurance of hope and of life in Christ. Friends, take heart today, take heart. For not even death can put you beyond the power of Jesus' voice. And one day know that you will hear him say, come. Amen.